I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome back to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. We're coming to you live, or at least live-ish, from the Ace Hotel in Portland. We're here for our annual Feast Portland Food Festival. And we are being joined today by Chris Cosentino from Coxcomb Restaurant and Boccalone Cured Meats. What do we call it, Chris? What do we call Boccalone? Fancy term. Fancy term. And Chris Shepard from Underbelly in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the table, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. Um, I think we're all a little crusty. We had uh, some fun last night, as as one does at food festivals. But for sure, yeah, we're up and at them at uh, like eleven ish in the morning here. Um, it's, it's pretty I'll, early. It's early, yeah, early ish. Right really? Now. Yeah. You think that's early? You're like a cyclist, right, Chris? You like? Yeah. 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 I mean, I was up this morning like seven thirty. Did were, did you do anything exercise related or? Uh, I walked around <laughs> that's good. i didn't bring my bike this is the first this is the first year of feast that i've not brought my bike are you one of those guys who owns multiple bikes and has them hanging in your garage and stuff yes yes this is a big cycling town correct? huge cycling town i mean you've got the best bike lanes you've got cycling road cycling mountain biking everything's right here so on a morning like this and we will get to food don't worry about it, guys. Um, like, how long does it take to get out of the city and into those sort of like car? No time areas? at all. You can ride from here to Sovi Island and do the Sovi Island Loop, which is where a lot of the farms are here. So as you're riding around Sovi Island, you can see a ton of farms that supply a lot of these restaurants in town, and you loop in and loop out. Cool. Well, let's get. I'm going to segue to yeah, farms. You mentioned farms, and I think what's interesting about you two guys as chefs is that you've sort of gained a reputation for. Uh, a love of meat, of butchery, of whole animal butchery, and really sort of getting to know the source of, of where your proteins are coming from. And I'm, I'm just curious how each of you sort of got on that track. And, and Chris Shepard, like, how, you know, how did you become the meat guy of Houston? <laughs> you know, it was, it was something to be able to do, you know. It was something that was intangible that I could see and do and work with farmers because eight years ago it wasn't really that possible but then meanwhile you would just have to order from a purveyor and yeah. you got what you got sort of thing yeah and then start you start working with farmers and then you start buying the entire animal and you just start working it that way and then they were like oh well there's a venue for it and then others start to do it and it starts to grow but there needs to be a demand for that also right if you're going to get whole animals into your restaurant you have to be able to sell the whole animal correct is that challenging for you chris as a, no, someone who became an awful quote-unquote guy you know i think once you start down that path it's it's you really have to commit you yeah. know, and I think, you know, whether it's a whole lamb, a whole pig, I mean, I, I've never been able to get in a whole steer. You have space for it. Every week. Wow. Yeah. Well, I that's not, everything's a little bit bigger in Texas. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are big in. What's an average weight for you on one of those? 850 to 1,000 pounds. And you have a rail, you roll them in and break down on, or do you have them no, split? No, they bring them in in quarters. Okay, that's good. What those shepherds just like, yeah, get a, get a whole steer <laughs> in. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the holy grail for us. That was, for me, it was like goats, lambs, pigs. We do that all the time, but it was the respect of a cow, <clears throat> then I think it's lost a lot of times. And before we built the restaurant, I was like, I talked to one of my purveyors and I was like, so if I want to buy the entire cow, how is that possible? And he was like, well, I get you things in boxes. I get you ribeyes and strips. And I was like, but what about all no. the other cuts? And he was like, does that really matter? And I was like, we're done. Yeah. It does wow. matter. Yeah. And so that was, that was kind of the thing. I was, I went back to my partners and I was like, we're building a butcher shop in this thing. We're going to be able to do a whole steer. That's it. That's it. Hey, that's very impressive. But, you know, you guys also run a business and you understand margins are tough at a restaurant. It's mm -hmm. a very competitive industry. So in your both places, how do you how how much of an advantage can it be to get whole animals instead of just select cuts? But then once you have the whole animals, what do you do with all the other parts and how do you get the customers to sign on for? I think you might have beef 
tart tartare on your menu or something yeah. I saw and like who buys that and like you know how do you preach the gospel to the customer I think <clears throat> at this point I feel that Chris and I are pretty fortunate enough that people seek us out for those things mm, yeah. and they're really looking for it and they know that that's what we do but I think it's really taking the whole animal you break it down and we kind of rotate through cuts so we can process through the animal so it's what do you what do you mean by rotate so say for instance we do I'll use a lamb mm-hmm. so we'll braise the shoulder or we'll make you know, merguez with trim, we'll take the hind leg, we'll seam the whole leg out, and we call it leg fillets. So I'll seam everything out, take off the sinew, and we can roast a leg fillet and slice it. So we'll do a mix. So you get a piece of braised shoulder, you get a zampini, which is a, you know, a curly sausage from Puglia, and then you get a leg fillet. I'll save the racks as a whole separate thing. I'll sell a whole rack to a table as a shared item. So I keep kind of breaking it down in ways where people are like, okay, well, the cut today on this is this. It's not, we always have one particular yeah. cut all the time. We just about. we just change the menu every night, and it's the only way for us to be able to do it because if we get in the cow, so a steer, if it's 900 pounds, it's 22, 24 ribeyes, right? So that's butcher cut on Saturday, generally first off, and then it changes throughout service. We'll go into strips after that and then sirloins and things like that, just depending on what it is. And it's just... For us, it's finding and utilizing ways to to be able to do these things. And it's because of that, because of the cook sitting down every day at 2 o'clock, we figure out what the menu is going to be. And it's we cook what we want to eat. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, okay, we have these pieces here. We have enough for 35, 40 orders. Boom. That goes on. All right. We know what a strip is. We know what a ribeye is. We know leg of lamb. We know rack. What do you do with all the trimmings? Do you guys make sausages? Do you make force meat? Like Because obviously you have a lot of other stuff. Well, you know. For us, we do sausage, we do pate de campagna. Um, I mean, it's just constant. There's a million outlets for it. You know, staff meal, some days I'll do like a great chili verde for all the staff, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just always going back to the customer in a new way. Uh, Riettes, I mean, there's a million ways to use it. And Chris, you also you also embrace a lot of different cuisines that are representative of the, the tapestry that yeah, is, makes, is Houston. Do you, how do you get creative? Because with we base us? it on, on, on Houston food, and, you're looking at cultures that already use these kind of cuts. And just to, for the listener, Houston is, has an incredibly diverse yeah. eating sort of like, you know, map. And I think a lot of people don't know that. They think of Houston as a big fancy oil bank, yeah. whatever no. sort of Texas it, town, you know. It, and It is that, but it's also, you know, there's a ton of Thai and a ton of Vietnamese and Indian and Mexican and Salvadorian and just all these cultures that come in together that gives us the ability to use you know, all these different cuts to do different things, whether it be satays or stir fry or um, braises, you know, long yeah. cooked things. A lot of Vietnamese dishes are, you know, cheaper cuts of beef that you have to braise for a long time. Yeah. And that's how we utilize it. What, um, at each of your restaurants, what, what have you been surprised by that has actually sold better than you thought that you might've been tentative to put on the menu at first and then people just go for it? Cow's udder. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if he's joking. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no he's not. <laughs> like, there's, there's no, uh, so I have a purveyor that I'm working with, uh, Mindful Meats, absolutely amazing company. And they're working with uh, worked animals, older animals that are working animals. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to get cow's udder because it's a very, like, it's just what Chris was saying. It's like a lot of the greatest foods are the peasant foods yeah. of the people that really had to think and put their best foot forward to work with a product that the wealthy didn't want. Yeah. Right. So you have now these peasant foods of cheaper cuts of meat, whether it was offals or a tough cut like a shoulder and udder. You go to Argentina, it's grilled. Really? 
Yeah, I've never it's, heard it's this before. It's absolutely amazing. And I think for us, um, you know, I'm working on the new cookbook and I've cured it to make bacon. So we just did um, a JBLT, a Jewish bacon, lettuce, and tomato. <laughs> so it's like cow's utter bacon, which it's the staff is excited. So, and that's on the menu? Or something. What do you put we, on the menu? What I put on the menu is milk braised cow's udder with uh-huh. uh, broccoli, rabi, and chilies. <laughs> so then, all right. So if you put something like that on the menu, what what do you tell the waiters? How do you get them to sell it to the customer if the well, customer is curious? And I think the first thing you do is one, you have them taste it. Yeah. You know, we do a tester dish at lineup for all the front of the house for all the cooks. Everybody tastes everything. We talk about it. Does it need more acid? Does it need a little more chili? then it really, it's about them understanding the flavor nuances, why it's done. There's a story behind every dish, every single dish, you know, Chris puts together has a historical element or it comes from a culture or there's reasons why the flavors were put together, right? Whether it's lime juice and a Thai chili and cilantro or rau ram or the particular udder, we take braise, chill, slice it and have, it looks like a piece of foie gras. We score it. Wow. And then we sear it really hard. And the inside is just beautiful, velvety, has a pillow-like texture, similar to foie gras. And it's, we are calling it, like, you know, the, the servers explain it. This is like a beef foie gras. It's absolutely beautiful. See, that's a good selling point. When you I say, want when, it right now. Yeah, when you say similar to foie gras, people, their ears pit. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, it's sustainable cut that has been rejected for a very long time in this country. And Mindful Meats built a HACCP plan for it. Just so I could get the product. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Chris Shepard, what about you in terms of is, is there a, is there a dish on your menu that's taken off surprisingly? I, I mean, it's no calendar, but it's, it's <laughs> for us. It's just goat. Oh, we yeah. go through an amazing amount of goat. Um, two hundred to two hundred fifty pounds of whole animal every week. And are, are you typically braising it and yeah, stewing we, it? Yeah, we stuff? I braise the whole thing. Yeah. It goes, we do one dish. It's braised goat, um, Korean rice stick called duk, um, and gochujang. Which is our best-selling dish? We'll sell hundred a night. Oh wow! Wow! And it's it's the one dish that we were like, oh, we need to put this on. I need it. I need a menu filler right now. I made this at home one night. It's great. It's very Korean. It's tteokbokki, and we'll do it this way. And it's the one thing we haven't been able to take off. Wow! It's, really? it's, awesome. it's the only dish that's on the menu that will will it will not come off the menu. What about art? In terms of whole animals, you then need to hire people who know or can at least learn pretty quickly how to butcher them. How hard is that to, to find talented people? And, and the better the butcher, the, the the less waste you have. Mojave is my butcher. He's been with me 17 years, um, and he's just the guy. He's the guy. Does he do everything, he, or does he have helpers? Everything. Well, wow. he's, got a, he's got an assistant in the butcher shop, but he breaks. When the animals come in, he's like, no problem, poppy. Boom, and it's Boom. done. Wow. It's like, you know, I got I got three pigs, maybe six coming in this week, and he's like, no problem. And, and he just it. he just gets at it. Wow, Chris, what about you? Same thing. I have a gentleman Hector Burgos. He's worked for me for 15 years. Wow. He started as a dishwasher at Encanto, and when I took over the restaurant, he said, "Teach me. I'll learn anything you want." So you taught him how to butcher. I taught him how to butcher. Wow. And, and where did you learn to butcher? Because that's uh, it's a serious skill, you know. This one is uh, you know, in, in 28 words or less. <laughs> I bullshitted my way into it. Uh Um, I was a stagiaire at Chez Panisse with Christopher Lee. And he said, hey, we got some bellwether lambs. Has anybody ever butchered lamb? And I was like, oh, yeah, I have. Total bullshit. He sent me down to the prep kitchen. And I just finger followed the seams. I'm going to break it down. That was my first. And then he came down. He was like, you've never done this before. I was like, no, I haven't. And he's like, all right, cool. But he's like, you didn't screw it up. Yeah. He's like, so I'm going to, we're going to do it together. And then he showed me how to do the lamb. And then... I went and bought a veterinarian guide. 
Yeah, as, as one does, <laughs> That's of course. Awesome. Really? It, it, it makes so much sense. It's yeah. like, how better to learn how to maximize the use of an animal from people that try to save them every day. So it shows muscle structures, striations. It shows where most of the fat lays, where all the organs lie. And it showed me the right way to do it with just following seams. And it really, it took me a while. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Um, I worked for a chef that was a hunter and he basically would bring in a, he'd give me a deer and be like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And you break down the rest, give it to the staff. This was in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, Okay. And so late at night, you just sit down and break down. If he shot something, I'd, I'd break it down. And then it was like, okay, well, I want to learn more. So if you look at like structures of rabbits, and then it was like, I want suckling pigs. And then you just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that was pretty much how I did it. I mean, just always studying. And then I took a couple of classes like from Austrian butchers and, and then uh, just kept going at it. Wow. That's fascinating. What, I mean, shifting gears a little bit, but not really. Um, we are, I think, at a moment in this country where we're kind of undergoing this vegetable revolution where there's just so much amazing produce available to chefs now. And there's now chefs cooking it creatively, diners demanding it, wanting it. How do you guys incorporate sort of interesting vegetable cookery into sort of menus that meat is at its soul? How did, how did, how did the two work together? I, I think that we're both lucky in the aspect of we live in extended growing seasons I yeah. mean, you have a great growing season in san francisco and for houston it's it never gets really cold so yeah, we always yeah. have beautiful things i was just at the uh, portland farmer's market about a half hour ago um, up the hill and it's just stunning the 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 amounted array of of quality produce and how it's accessible at everyone now yeah i look at that and I like strawberries and i'm like we will start that in december well, wow. <clears throat> our, our strawberry season starts late November, early December and goes until March. And so, really? yeah, ours starts in March, ends in November. Yeah. And That's like crazy. tomatoes were so fast on me. Yeah. We, we, we sometimes get some grief from our uh, readers and, you, you know, listeners or whatever. And, and at Bon Appetit that they're like, you guys always write for people who live on the East coast and where summer is just, you know, June, July, August, or, you know, like that, 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 that the yeah. growing season, you forget that the growing season is different everywhere in the country yeah. based and, on where you are. And I think when you're having farmers that are putting their best into something, you owe it to them to give it your best and, and make sure that their vegetables are what's singing. And, and so do you have the same relationship with produce farmers as you do with, with the, with the meat guys or, you know, how tight are you with them? And, yeah. yeah. I, I, but I can order, like I know I'm gonna like I order like every Tuesday the cows come and every Sunday I I place in a basically a kill order and for my goats and lamb mm-hmm. and, and pigs. But you should open a restaurant called Kill Order. <laughs> I didn't know if that was a right answer, but yeah. I mean, that's I prefer, like for when cooks are like I need this. It's like yeah, that's not gonna happen because things actually have to go through this process. Yeah. But with farmers, like we don't. There's no produce company. It's just people just show up. And you don't know what's good until it's good. Like sometimes wow. things show up two weeks later than you think just seasonally when things are popping. Yeah, and it's just like we they show up and they're like at the back door and they're like, this is what we have. Boom, 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 boom. And that's how we base the menu. And so it's when you see something that's really gorgeous, it's like that's going on the menu right now. And yeah. this is what we're going to do with it. And that's how it's going to be played out. Chris, what about it at, at Coxcomb? I mean, we're really fortunate. I've been buying from the same farmers for 15 plus years. So like Marikita Farms. The majority of our menus based through them. Um, he's based down in like Salinas area. Are you the type of guys who put the name of the farms on the menu? Is that important to you? Like, is no, it, do you, do you I just, don't. As long as you pay the money. The entire menu would be filled with that because yeah. we don't have a produce company. We don't have a meat vendor. We don't have any yeah. of that. So it would just be blah, 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 blah. I, I think the, the, the vegetable craze 
the vegetables have always been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've been there since I've been at Encanto. They've been there since Underbelly's been cranking. They've never gone away. It just became the nose to tail revolution became a really big thing where everybody's learning to utilize, right? It's ultimately called sustainable eating. Yeah. Right? Everybody talked about sustainable grown, sustainably harvest. It's ultimately boils down to sustainable eating, whether it's an animal or a piece of produce. Do you use the, the green on the leeks or do you just use the white and throw the rest away? Yeah. Do you, you eat the radish greens when you get a radish? And I think that is everyday life for both of us. But I mean, because I think- we're already paying a higher. I, I I know that we're paying a higher price. I'm sure you are too for yeah. things. And so, like you got to use it. Like it's yeah. not it's not really a choice. It's I, like- I I look. I'm that guy. Like I look in the compost bin. Yeah. I'm like who dump who dumped this in there? What are you doing? And I don't know if it's the same for you, Chris. But for me, perception versus reality is. Chris only serves guts yeah. and he doesn't do anything else. He only knows how to cook. <laughs> but I do just, my produce costs are higher than my meat costs and I'm buying great meat, you know? And I think that people don't realize that. We've started doing the, like some farmers find it hard to just travel around and go from far- place to place to place. So we'll, we'll just say, you know what, if you grow it, we'll buy it. And that's when it, that's when it hits like the peppers are, Ugh. oh, yeah. sometimes like, I can't wait for pepper season. I can't wait for it to be over. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Yeah. But, you know, by doing that, you get to do. I started getting nervous because one of our farmers was like, by the way, satsumas will be ready in three weeks. And I'm like, oh, because last year it was like 40 cases of citrus every week. And so it's like now we'll figure it out. It's vinegars and it's, you know, we, the shrubs and just trying to because we don't want farmers to have to drive around trying to figure out how, what to do with these things. So. Um, I'm kind of nervous right now, <laughs> guys. Um, this is this, this has been awesome and enlightening. Um, but before we let you go, we're going to do our lightning round. So either or questions, and you both have to answer. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to start off. Ready? Prosciutto or mortadella? Mortadella. Mortadella. Why? Why? It's just it's there's something so ethereal about the way it, the pal, on the palate. It's just delicious. Creamy goodness. That's just a rude question, though. Uh, why is that a rude? That's question? a rude question. <laughs> do you have children? I, I, I do. I've never, I've never asked this question before. Do you have children? I, I do. Which I, one do you I, like better? I have. Well, I only have oh, one. Oh, so, have, uh, yeah. But like, I love prosciutto. I do too. Well, that's a, that's why it's, it's a tough. Yeah, tough that thing. is a tough one. Um, I like this one. Grain fed or grass fed? Grain. For yeah. Me. Chris. It just depends. No, it no, depends no, no. on the outlet. I like grass. This is an interesting one. Pig ear or pig tail? Tail. Tail. Ear. Wow. Shepard, this one's for you. J.J. Watt or James Harden? J.J. <laughs> Watt. Without question. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I, I, football's in my blood. So, uh, Cousin Tina will give you one of yours. Niners or Giants? Ooh. I don't pay attention either. <laughs> <laughs> rare or medium rare? What animal? Yeah. Well, let's talk. Well, let's talk steak, and then I'm curious about pork in terms of how you guys like to serve your pork. Like, obviously, not a braised pork, but you know, a, a chop. Medium rare for me on steak, mm-hmm. but it's also dependent on the cut because some cuts need to be cooked a little bit more yeah. texturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like hanger steak more medium than I do medium rare. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a mid rare guy, but mid-rigger, on some yeah. things I like it to be cooked up a little bit more because you get the the, the fat starts to inter like intertwine with the, the structure of the meat and the. Yeah, you I have know, a friend who, starts to break down. who would always try to serve like a ribeye or a really giant thick porterhouse, marbled one, rare, 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 rare. And at some point, it's just too rare. And the yeah. fat doesn't yeah, break like down that. at all. And it's just like, Ugh. it has a bad mouthfeel. Yeah. 
mouthfeel. Now, what about pork? Because Americans, obviously, we're always like, oh, pork has to be cooked all the way through. That seems to have changed a lot in the last five so years, at least. I serve pork tartare, dude. <laughs> I really don't. I, I think, but, he, but he serves it medium well. I, I think that I think that it really is dependent on your animal or you're getting it from. You have your history. You know what they're doing. But it's like certain things don't need to be hammered. Everybody no. wants it. I mean, pork belly, you can grill pork belly. And it's, it's delicious. Really delicious. Korean and, style. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. I'm in. I love that. And, and I think pork chops, you know, when we do bacon chop, we leave the bacon cap oh, well. still on it. And I really love that. But people don't understand when it's pink, they get really freaked out. Mm, yeah. Like, it, it's going to kill me. I'm like, you're not going to yeah. get it. We have not seen trichinosis in this country for a long time. <laughs> All right. Final question butter or olive oil? You got to choose. That's easy for me. Okay. Butter. <laughs> Cousin Tino, however, he's, he's torn. He's pondering. He's like that. the Italian guy over here. You might really tee off your grandmother if you give the wrong answer. I mean, I baste in olive oil. I fry in olive oil. So that's fine with me. All right. I do it. use butter, but olive oil is king in the restaurant. I'll brown butter the hell out of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Words to live by. Guys, thank you so much. Chris Cosentino and Chris Shepard. You've been listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks Cheers. So Thanks for having us. This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mom tried to tell me something was wrong. I wasn't listening, just playing along. When I finally got it and the truth came out, oh my mama, I should.